0: All right, so we're back to Cutting Room Floor, and today we have a very interesting discussion. (laughs) My guess is one that you have never thought about. Totally. (laughs) So we're going to talk about giants, no beanstalks, but we are going (laughs) to talk about giants and their role, uh, basically in the narrative arc from Genesis through the conquest, Mm -hmm. and basically what role they play. Exactly. All right, so let's go back. And sort of start where giants even pop up
1: Pop up yes so we're first told about these giant figures connected with the Nephilim in Genesis
0: 6. okay so you have creation you have fall you have Cain and Abel mm-hmm. you have some violence picking yep. up yep you get to Genesis 6 and now you have something very odd very
1: odd yes yeah. so you have these what seem to be spiritual beings that so what's a spiritual being So something that's we probably can't physically like see not human non-human. non-human perhaps most likely non-physical in the sense that you and I can yeah. see it, but something that's real nonetheless, okay. especially in the biblical worldview. Okay. And so you have these spiritual beings, sons of Elohim, sons of God, yeah. that saw that seed these daughters of, of man. So yeah. human women and they have these they offspring. See good take. Yeah. It's another kind fall, of like narrative. The fall narrative. Yes. Yeah. And so what many people think is you have the fall narrative in Genesis three of humans, yeah. you have the fall narrative here in Genesis six of spiritual beings Got it. in Genesis six. And as part of the consequence or the result of this is these creatures of the Nephilim yeah. appear. These giants that are roaming the earth. Okay, Genis- so you have giants yes.
0: that are called Nephilim, Nephilim Yes. that are the byproduct yes. of sexual relations yes. between spiritual beings and women. Yes, and okay.
1: we said it was going to be crazy. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. And this okay, is even just, the, I just
0: want to set the stage a little bit. This isn't
1: even the conquest part yet, yeah. so <laughs> okay. we're getting there. Yeah. But Genesis six tells us six verse four says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. So okay. the flood and also afterward. Okay. So somehow these beings are post flood as well as in the midst of the flood narrative. Okay. Now there's a whole bunch of rabbit holes as to yeah, how we won't, that could we'll, be. We'll skip that. part. Skip that part, Fast move around forward, the rabbit hole yeah. because later in Numbers 13, this is the story of when the spies go into the promised land okay. and they're kind of told to scout out the land, see what can take place. Okay. 12 so spies is, go in, yeah, numbers 10 yeah. come back, and ten are like, we can't do it. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, are yep. like, God is on our side. God will fight for us.
0: Yep. And then they, they give some reasons. Yes. Which and the you prim- are saying are connected back to Genesis 6. Totally.
1: So the narrator in Numbers 13 wants us to know that the primary reason why the ten spies say we can't go into the promised land yeah. is because that there are giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. And then verse 33 of Numbers 13 says this, For the people saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anakim, come from the Nephilim.
0: Okay. So now we have Nephilim again. Yes. So you have Genesis 6. Nephilim, the sort of byproduct of yes. spiritual beings and yes. women now are popping up again. Again. The first time that yes. Israel goes into the promised,
1: promised land. land. And what, they, what stands out to the spies is that there's giants in the land. Yeah. that are connected to the Nephilim because they're the sons of Anak or the sons of Anakim. Mm-hmm. And we're just told this sort of narrative detail that, you know, dear reader, yeah. pay attention because these giants, they're the Anakim and they're connected to the Nephilim. Got it. And you, as a reader, are just supposed to go, okay, there's something happening yeah. here. What's interesting is you keep reading the story when kind of, it's still with Moses at this point. J- Moses hasn't passed away, yeah. but there are some like preliminary battles, if you will, okay. of yeah, them yeah. before they go into the promised land proper. There's some other areas and battles that they, yeah. they have. And in those retellings of those battles, primarily in Deuteronomy chapter two and chapter three of Deuteronomy, The narrative detail that keeps popping up is that the people that they fight, they're giants, and that they're compared to or even described as the Anakim, which you know from Numbers 13, are connected to these giants and the Nephilim. In Genesis 6. In Genesis 6, yeah. So what you have here is that these kind of pre-battles, if you will, before going to the Promised Land... They're fighting giants, okay. and we're told that, for example, the king of Og, his bed is nine cubits long. This is
0: like a detail given in, in the Bible. In
1: the Bible, right? And so you're like, why am I being told that his bed is nine feet long yeah. or nine cubits long? Yeah. Well, they want you to know and make the connection that they're yeah. they're dealing with giants. That
0: makes like a California king seem small. <laughs> seems
1: super small, exactly. Yeah. Now this picks up. In the book of Joshua itself, okay. Joshua chapters 10 and 11, for the most part, are basically a summary okay. of the recounting of what is commonly called the Northern Campaign and the Southern Campaign as far as Joshua's military battles. So geographically, and, geographically they yes. have
0: battles in the north and the south. Yes, And this in chapters 10 and 11, they're summarizing these battles.
1: Exactly. Yes. Okay. And so in Joshua 11, we get this line. I kind of just want to kind of read it real briefly yeah, yeah. here, Joshua 11, verse 21. Joshua came at that time and cut off. Here's our fun word, the Anakim from the hill country. And then you list a few different cities okay. and then it goes on to say, cut off the Anakim from the hill country of Judah and from the hill country of Israel.
0: Okay. So we have the Anakim again, Exa- back Exactly. back to Genesis six, yes. sort of this, just keeping sort of these pieces connected, the, the keeping the thread these connected, children of spiritual beings. Yes. And humans are still they' popping, they're up, in popping the
1: narrative. up. and it seems that as Joshua, the book of Joshua is kind of summarizing the main kind of military battles, the north and the southern okay. campaigns, it's the the target that Joshua is elevating to the, the forefront yeah. here are these Anakim.
0: So when he summarizes the battles, he says, And guess what, guys? We got our primary target.
1: We got the Anakim. The Anakim. And they were told from the hill country of Judah, which is the southern kingdom when you go later on in the biblical story, and Israel, the northern kingdom. So we're already talking about northern, north and south Israel. In the Promised Land. In the Promised Land. Yeah. Their
0: primary target, textually,
1: are these giants. These giants. Joshua 14, verse 12, another summary is given. The Anakim are also the ones that are the targets there. Joshua 14, verse 15, another detail is given about the Anakim and them being the primary targets. Now, there's a a couple, two more layers here to this story that that really kind of flesh this out. In the biblical narrative, one of the primary, most of us are probably familiar with the conquest with the Ites. You know, the Canaanites, the Amorites, so on and so forth. Kind of as a side note, and it's going to relate to in a second with the Anakim, is that the Amorites and the Canaanites are generally kind of the two primary sort of stock, you know, people groups, if you will, that kind of summarize the whole of all these other ites. So sometimes in the biblical passage, you'll get a list of seven or eight different ites together, or you might get something like in Genesis 15, where God tells Abraham, the sins of the Amorites have not yet been completed. And that word Amorites there is like one for the whole. It's meaning the whole sort of thing. Same thing with the Cainites. You might get Cainites in a long list of different ites, or you might get Cainites to describe the whole entire sort of people group.
0: Amorites or Canaanites can be used as a way to say these people groups.
1: Exactly. Yes. Like one for the whole yeah. kind of the kind of thing. What's interesting is that in particular with the Amorites, when the prophet Amos in particular looks back on the conquest, okay. the prophet Amos chapter two, verse nine talks about the Amorites being whose height was like the height of cedars. Okay. So the prophet Amos We're back, to back to giants again, talks about how the Amorites in the promised land, he makes the connection that these folks are giants. Yeah. And so we kind of put all the pieces together, when the, kind of this, the second layer to this too, is that when the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, translates a lot of the Rephaim and Anakim language in the Greek version, the Septuagint writers, so this is the Greek translation of the Old Testament yeah. about 100 years before the time of Jesus, translates these passages in Deuteronomy in particular. They use the word gigos, the Greek word gigos, which is the Greek word for giant, in place of, these people groups, the Rephaim and the Anakim and all these different Ems, if you will. Okay. And so, what what does this mean? What do you kind of put all the pieces together? you sort of trace
0: this arc of there are these offspring of spiritual beings and humans that are sort of dotting the narrative and they have seemed to have a particular, I don't know, focus in the conquest narrative of like, we got to deal with these beings.
1: With these giant beings. And then just as a kind of a free, you know, kind of side crumb, if yeah. you will, Goliath is a giant and he's connected with some of these same sort of regions and languages. So that's a whole other side note, but it seemed like the main sort of target, if you will, are these giants. So not only is the prophet Amos looking back later on and having okay. this view, but that's like hundreds of years hundreds later, later, the Greek translators of the old Testament right before the time of Jesus yeah. look back and so have a similar view. They're looking view, back
0: and trying to figure out how do we take these Hebrew scriptures into Greek and have it make sense. Yes. They're looking at them as giants. As giants, yeah. So
1: there's all these different pieces of evidence, both within the Old Testament itself, the prophet Amos later on, and then the Greek translators of the Old Testament, you know, much later on. So
0: like historians.
1: Historians, exactly. And then you kind of piece this all together with the primary targets of the northern and southern campaigns. It seems like the main sort of target, again... Are these giants connected with spiritual evil and spiritual rebellion? Yeah. Which maybe to translate it into kind of and r- you
0: say spiritual evil and rebellion because there's like a fall narrative with these spiritual yes. beings doing basically what humans did a few chapters later, yes. and now they're populating and sort of following yeah, exactly, uh, or maybe a better way of saying it, they are popping up in the scriptures intentionally by these writers, yes. and they want us to see something.
1: Because want us to see something, and it seems like that what Joshua is after as he's leading Israel in the promised land is basically eliminating what it's weird. It sounds bizarre, but these spiritual creatures, these spiritual beings that are somehow not necessarily human, but connected, but really these giant creatures. And it's very similar kind of to put it in maybe new Testament terms. What Paul says in Ephesians six, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces and and powers in high places. Hmm. And that one way to perhaps look at the conquest, again, this doesn't solve all our problems.
0: There still are wars. There still are wars. Involving humans. Humans,
1: exactly. So I'm not saying that it's all just like kind of angelic warfare stuff. But it does seem one way to look at this is that the writers of Joshua and the writers of the scriptures are wanting us to make this connection. That one of the primary targets of the conquest was not just humans in general that were ites even those ites are often connected to these giants, but that these spiritual kind of rebels or these spiritual beings that have their roots back to Genesis chapter six. People can do what they want with that. It's a very interesting (laughs) sort of take to kind of look through the lens of the conquest.
0: So maybe we can say like, there's a lot going on in the conquest, but one of the themes that the authors of the scriptures want us to pay attention to is maybe a a battle that we don't pay attention to yeah, that God cares about. For sure. And he wants to address this, these, I don't know what even to call them. Uh, they're sort of like they're giants, but they're sort of connected to a spiritual yes, rebellion exactly. that he's wanting to address. Yes,
1: for sure. And it's, it's part of what I think God is doing in the whole biblical narrative is that God is, is, is at a, in a war, if I could put it like that against spiritual evil. against things that harm and destroy and Take away from the flourishing that God wants to give His humans yeah. on on planet Earth to give what yeah. God intended back in Genesis one and two.
0: And you're saying the giants were sort of doing this.
1: They were inhibiting the the potential and the desire for Israel to live in the land yeah. that's connected. Because what God wants is for Israel to live in essentially a new Eden yeah. in this promised land with grapes float with grapes yeah. and milk and honey. All this yeah. garden imagery popping up. But again. there's
0: these spiritual beings, spiritual human hybrids. Yes. That are there and preventing it.
1: Preventing it, yes. And that seems to be just kind of to kind of land the plane here, yeah. the primary target. Not some like ethnic cleansing human, yeah. you know, takeover, but this spiritual battle, if we want to use sort of that language.
0: Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this and you're like me, you didn't wake up the mor- this morning thinking you would be hearing about cutting room floor and giants, here you go. There you go. They're in the scriptures, we're trying to wrestle with mm-hmm. How do we take seriously the scriptures? And this is one of the themes that the authors of the scriptures yes. and God are giving us to think about. For sure. Uh, and so think. There we go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So, one last thing. Sorry, you're like, I thought that was done. Well, Aaron <laughs> and I were just chatting. We just wanted to recognize that, like, I think as just secular, modern people, you know, that have been sort of shaped in a culture of empiricism and science mm-hmm. and technology. We focus so much on things that we can see and touch. Yeah. For the material sure. world. Yeah. But when you actually go to the scriptures, and this, this is why this matters, yeah. right? Because we're talking about spiritual beings, spiritual evil. Yeah, yeah. Like when you actually look at the scriptures, like, there's angels and spiritual beings literally through the whole thing for sure right yes. they they block Adam and Eve's entrance back yep, the into the garden yep. you trace through like the old testament they're there like mm-hmm. spiritual beings like like all these battles with Abraham and the the oaks of Mamre Oh yeah totally Genesis 18:19 right? keeps going yes. then you get in the new testament they're there all, all over the over, place yeah. too right with Jesus's announcement of his yes. birth uh that with Jesus's uh he's in well, temptation oh, yeah. by with Satan. Satan in, yeah, yeah, He's Matthew at four. his resurrect. They're at his resurrection. Yep, the angels, yeah. Like, they're all over they're the They're all place. over, yes.
1: And so you have both spiritual spiritual beings that are with God and for God and that are for humans in, in a good sense, and they're yeah. spiritual beings that are opposed to God and yeah. opposed to what God is up to in the world. Yeah. And it's a, it's a layer in the biblical narrative that, especially as kind of modern Western people, that are in a more, like you mentioned, a secular, very materialistic worldview that we have to, I think there's some adjustment that has to happen yeah. as we come to the scriptures yeah. and recognizing that there are just a, a worldview as, as a, and I want say worldview, a way of seeing the world, a yeah. way of understanding God's creation, a way of understanding God's world yeah. where there are realities and spiritual beings yeah. that are just assumed in the biblical narrative yeah. by these biblical authors that it's the adjustment is on our part to adjust to what the Bible yeah. is actually saying about this reality and, the and not to just we, yeah. like, oh, this is weird. I don't like yeah. it.
0: Well, and I think that's why we wanted to add this addendum because sometimes you read these things, you're like, that's different. Yeah. The thing that I find striking though is if you were in the ancient Near East and you were talking about this at that time, my guess is they wouldn't have been like, that's a weird story. Yeah, for they sure. would have been like, oh, they're spiritual beings. Totally. Yes. Oh, okay. We have categories for that. Yes. But for us... It's like, wait, I thought the world was this way. Exactly. One of the ways I think about this sometimes is we have this interesting thing, this interesting sort of a bifurcation that happens to us rationally where we sort of can imagine an invisible God, mm-hmm. but yeah. we cannot imagine invisible beings to totally. serve the yes, invisible God. Exactly. And we have this interesting intellectual bifurcation where it's like, we imagine that an invisible God can be with us wherever we go. Yeah, yeah. But we can't imagine for some reason that there would be other invisible beings yes, yes. that would be good, evil, somewhere in, in the know, middle of totally, yeah, yeah. That would be also like around us and For things sure. would be happening that we couldn't see
1: exactly. And it, this comes back to what we were just talking about with Joshua in particular yeah. is that kind of this angle of looking at the conquest narrative might kind of, you know, push against or grade against our kind of materialistic worldview yeah. as like, that sounds so bizarre. Yeah. But again, just kind of go back and pay attention. I'll, I'll maybe attach some notes with That'd the textual great. references and just see that there's something the biblical authors are wanting to communicate here. Yeah. That probably doesn't, at least on our first reading, it didn't for me, yeah. kind of sit well totally. with kind of a modern Western materialistic worldview. Yeah. But and it's that there.
0: maybe there's other battles going on.
1: Yeah, totally. That we don't see. Totally.
0: And this sort of points at it in a subtle way in the conquest narrative yeah. that God cares about some other things that maybe we wouldn't ner- for notice sure. our first time. For sure. Through. For sure. Cool. Cool.